0: Good morning to everyone listening. My name is Eliana Svilik. Welcome to the first episode of my podcast, Capital Connections. On this podcast, we are going to explore the intersection between economics, politics, and everyday life. We are going to try to understand why the flow of money between countries and companies matters. This podcast is an educational initiative with the goal of educating my peers, high school students, on the global political economic events that are so relevant to our lives, but schools often neglect to teach fully. Today, we are going to discuss the ongoing U.S.-China trade war, something we have all heard a lot about over the last few years. Let's try to understand what started it and why we should care. We have an amazing guest today who is going to help educate us. I will introduce her shortly. First, some background. The trade war began on July 6th of 2018 when former U.S. President Donald Trump placed sanctions or tariffs on Chinese products coming into the U.S. Tariffs are essentially taxes. They add to the price of a product and make it more expensive. China and the U.S. are the world's two largest economies, and this economic conflict has become the largest trade war since 1975. Currently, the U.S. is enforcing high tariffs on $370 billion worth of Chinese products. Before we dive into the actual trade war, though, let's go over a bit of background on the Chinese economy. In recent decades, China has reinvented itself and become an economic powerhouse through a unique blend of communism and capitalism. China's economy is dependent on state-owned enterprises that act as social stabilizers, quote-unquote private Chinese companies that are monitored and regulated by the government, and foreign corporations. One of China's main goals has been to establish itself as a world superpower, to rival and eventually surpass the United States. Due to China's political system, which grants the central government enormous power without any real checks or balances, Beijing exerts unrivaled authority over Chinese citizens, companies, and transnational corporations operating in China. Ultimately... China's assertiveness has led to the current trade war, which the Trump administration instigated with the intent to protect U.S. companies from cheaper foreign imports and to decrease the amount of American technology stolen by the Chinese government. The trade war was supposed to give a competitive edge to domestic products and services, as well as increase the manufacturing employment. It was also meant to decrease imports from China and reduce the U.S. trade deficit which in 2020 amounted to $310.8 billion with China. With regards to the second goal, American companies have long struggled to protect their intellectual property from China. Over 80% of economic espionage cases investigated by the U.S. involve China. China steals American IP in a variety of ways and through numerous programs, ranging from actual espionage to policies that leave foreign companies vulnerable to technology theft. Legally, China requires that foreign companies partner with a domestic company if they want to sell their goods on the Chinese domestic market, making them susceptible to trade secret theft. Once China, which works directly with private individuals and companies to steal IP, has the technology, it manufactures and sells whatever the product is on the Chinese market before displacing U.S. companies on the global market. The trade war was supposed to mitigate Chinese policy and force China to address IP theft in a meaningful way. The Trump administration negotiated the Phase 1 trade deal, which was signed January 15, 2020, with the Chinese government. The deal resulted in China agreeing to criminalize some forms of IP theft and amend certain policies that that require U.S. companies to essentially hand over their technology, though the terms are quite vague. Furthermore, per the agreement, China must increase its imports of U.S. goods and services by at least 200 billion U.S. dollars over the span of 2020 and 2021 based on 2017 numbers. Critics have said that this is an unreasonable target. China has not yet met the goal and COVID-19 has made it even more difficult as demand for U.S. goods dropped. This brings us to the present, and joining us today to bring some clarity to the changing situation is Dr. Sarah Shu. She received her PhD from the University of Utah and her BA from Wheelsley College. Dr. Shu is also a visiting scholar at Fudan University in China and an associate professor at the University of New York, New Paltz. Thank you so much for being here. Sure, thanks for having me. Before we begin, would you mind telling us a bit more about your background investigating Chinese technology, particularly as it pertains to the Chinese economy and China-US relations?
1: Sure, Um, so I've been looking, especially at uh, Chinese financial technology and many of the new technologies are um, the subject of conflict between the US and China. And one of these is artificial intelligence because this allows for um, certain actions to be carried out more rapidly including even military actions, but also with most of the focus in China on um, technology practices. So I've been looking at fintech and the different technologies involved in that, including, of course, AI as well as blockchain, cloud computing, big data, 5G, and so on, and also how those have uh, contributed to the U.S.-China conflict.
0: Well. So going into the trade war, what was the Trump administration hoping to accomplish, particularly with regards to American IP theft?
1: I think the Trump administration was expecting that if tariffs are imposed on China, that China will relent and um, stop stealing uh, U.S. firms' IP intellectual property. But this is not something that's necessarily guaranteed. First of all, because China doesn't recognize that its firms steal intellectual property from the U.S., and second of all, because even though China did implement an intellectual property law to beef up its IP, there's no guarantee that the law will be enforced, especially because the country doesn't really recognize that uh, there is IP theft. So I think that you know this, this point of the trade war didn't work out for the U.S., um, maybe in some form, and I think that both sides are more aware of the issue. And it got the conversation started, but um, the cost that Americans suffered from the trade war, we have to ask if that was really worth it.
0: Right. So in your March 3rd in 2021 article for The Diplomat titled The U.S.-China Trade War is Still Happening, you wrote that the trade war continues to ravage the U.S. economy, even under the new Biden administration. The ongoing trade war is costly and should be addressed now. Could you explain what that cost to the U.S. economy and
1: U.S.? Citizens is? Sure. So um, some people have estimated that it's a several hundred billions of dollars. But other research has found that it actually could be at least $1.7 trillion because of stock price declines. Um, and so it's not entirely clear. There's no really comprehensive study that's been done comparing the losses due to the trade war with what could have happened if we didn't have the trade war. But we do know that it was costly, not only in terms of companies and individuals that had to pay the tariffs directly, but also in terms of lost jobs and also lost profitability for a lot of the major companies, which had to absorb at least some of the cost leading to stock price declines. So all of this created costs that U.S. probably should not have had to undergo, seeing as the trade war was not successful.
0: Right. So with that in mind, what should the U.S. government be doing if it wants to toughen its stance on China while not hurting the American
1: consumer? Um, I think that, you know, one of the first things that the U.S. should do is engage in talks with the World Trade Organization and try to get some of its allies in the World Trade Organization to reduce China's subsidies that it uses for date firms. Um, but also to work with China, to engage in diplomacy with China and try to try to talk to China and use some of the things that we have in place, including the trade war, as potential bargaining chips. Also, working with allies in other areas, um, not with an anti-Chinese stance, but just keeping in mind that U.S. allies can help to work out some of these thornier issues that the U.S. is very very angry about, try to help to tone down some of the rhetoric as well as work out some of these issues.
0: Right. So as you know, recently talks in Alaska disintegrated rapidly between the U.S. and China. And in your March 26th article, you wrote, the relationship seems to be moving further apart. Biden has also said that he intends to hold China accountable for its human rights transgressions, most notably against the Uyghur Muslim population. How will this influence the tone and outcomes of future trade war negotiations?
1: Yeah, I think that the Biden administration is going very slowly, possibly too slowly, But I know that his administration is trying to research these issues and try to take the best approach to China um, as possible. From what I understand, I'm looking at China not only as a competitor, but also as a cooperator. So this is a sort of sort of challenging stance to take. I think that focusing on human rights transgressions is a mistake. Um, It's really inflammatory. Definitely, this is an issue that the U.S. needs to take a stance on, but to focus on it as a central issue makes it really hard to get around because um, human rights is something that uh, the U.S. and China have never really been able to work out. They just have really conflicting ideologies on uh, what human rights should be, and even whether these transgressions are going on at all. Uh, And so I I think focusing on the human rights issue is a mistake. Interesting.
0: So Biden is also said to be reviewing the phase one trade deal and is examining the supply chains of, as you wrote, four industries, large capacity electric vehicle batteries, pharmaceuticals, critical minerals and electronics, and computer chips. And these four industries were strongly affected by the pandemic. These industries were also hit by the U.S.-China trade war. Would you help my audience understand why it is important for Biden to review these chains?
1: Yeah, so these are considered critical industries, getting things like semiconductors, access to pharmaceuticals, and so on. These are things that the U.S. really needs. And if these are completely focused on China and the U.S. has further conflict with China, which is a possibility, then there needs to be some sort of diversification out of China to make sure that if uh, there is conflict with China, that the US can still access all of these much needed materials. And so one thing that COVID-19 really shone a light on is the need to understand where supply chains come from because a lot of companies didn't know who the suppliers of their suppliers were or the suppliers of their suppliers of their suppliers. They might know who their direct supplier was, where they purchased goods from, But if their direct supplier had goods coming just from China, then that could really be a problem. Even if the direct suppliers were located in different countries all over the world, if their suppliers had everything coming from China or even just one other country, that would really be a problem for economic security in the U.S. Right,
0: What can Biden really do to alter global supply chains in a way that meaningfully benefits U.S. companies, especially because these companies are private and because there aren't exactly
1: many countries that can do what China is doing? Yeah, I think that he can encourage diversification away from China. I don't think that he can force American companies or, you know, that Congress would be willing to support forcing U.S. companies to not be located in China. But I certainly think that he can implement some sort of action that would help to diversify supply chains in these strategic areas. Um, I think that that would help to ensure stability in those supply chains.
0: Right. And the supply chains are separate from the phase one agreement. With regards to that trade deal, what goals are slated to be accomplished?
1: There are several goals in that. So. One of these, of course, focused on IP theft. Another focused on the U.S. purchasing more goods from China, so purchasing more agricultural and energy goods and so on. That has not been fulfilled yet. China has been trying to purchase more goods from the U.S., but due to the COVID-19 crisis, it left them short of the ability to, to purchase more goods, especially since global trade was more or less Shut down. So that was that was problematic, and and so as a result of that, there's still speculation about whether the Phase One agreement is really viable, um, whether it's still meaningful, and you know where do we go from there?
0: Right. What stance do you think Biden will take? Do you think he will hold China to the Phase One agreement?
1: I don't know. I think that you know, certainly there are a lot of political elements, political part. Um, groups that want Biden to hold China accountable to the phase one agreement, I don't think it necessarily makes sense in terms of sustainability for China to continue purchasing that many goods from the U.S. I I don't know that it's sustainable. Um, And so I think that this is something that the Biden administration needs to take into account. Is this something that China can continue to do? Is it reasonable? Is it even really beneficial for the U.S. uh, in the long run to force China to purchase goods that it, it doesn't necessarily naturally want to purchase from the U.S. I think, you know, if you go towards more market-based trade, it makes more sense. It's more sustainable in the long run because both parties are agreeing on, uh, you know, what should be bought and sold rather than purchasing through a command, which China in particular knows does not work. Commanding companies or individuals to purchase goods is not a sustainable solution. Right. So why did China agree to this? I think that China um, just felt they didn't really have another choice and they felt that it was feasible at the time for them to try to purchase more goods. Um, There seemed to be some sort of room for negotiation um, in terms of the tariffs and it did prevent tariffs from going up even further. Um, and so it was a small measure of progress, but nowhere near the great progress that the Trump administration touted at the time.
0: Right. So, how badly was China affected by the trade war?
1: Well, we don't really know. You know, there haven't been um, large-scale studies that are conclusive on either side. Um, but we do know that you know the Chinese market was affected. Some experts have said China is more affected than the U.S. Some experts have said the U.S. is more affected than China, and some said both. Um, I think China has been affected by it. It has made trade to some extent more costly for China. But we also see a great resilience on the part of Chinese importers and exporters that they have been able to find other sources and demands for for their products. Um, And so in some cases, the trade war has been really ineffective in that it has allowed China to shift away from the U.S. for sources and demand of goods and shift to other countries. And this may be a permanent feature of global trade.
0: Right. So that brings me to my next question, which is how did this trade war between the world's two largest economies affect
1: the other countries in the world and their economies? I think that, you know, it has really created a lot of uncertainty in the rest of the world um, it's also brought to light some grievances that the European Union has had with China, also Australia. And I think the EU appears to be on its way to working out a lot of these issues with China, whereas Australia seems to be going in the opposite direction with greatly reducing trade with China. And so I think that it's caused a major disruption in global supply chains.
0: Right. So shifting back to the IP side of things and pulling up your April 19th article for The Diplomat, you wrote about the U.S. National Security Commission on Artificial Intelligence's latest report, which found that China's latest strides in artificial intelligence have further increased China's ability to launch cyber attacks on the U.S. government and presumably U.S. companies. In terms of IP theft, will these new capabilities allow China to subvert the phase one trade deal? if it plans on at least keeping
1: up appearances? Uh, You know, it is possible. Um, The phase one agreement, unfortunately, doesn't address a lot of the current technologies and it does not address cyber attack. That's one way in which intellectual property is stolen. So that's a very good point. And, you know, so going forward, it would be really beneficial if we could see something that would prevent cyber attacks. Since We've seen these happen, you know, cyber attacks on, Major corporations and institutions, it seems to be coming, be becoming an increasing focus and increasingly problematic.
0: Right. So this really calls into question the effectiveness of at least part of the agreement. And assuming that China's technological abilities will only increase, do US companies, particularly the larger ones, have the resources or capability to protect themselves from these cyber attacks?
1: Well, I think that they're really trying to protect themselves from cyber attacks. They have had and continue to have uh, data breaches. So Marriott, for example, was hacked in March, 2020. And this resulted in a data breach of um, over 5 million of their guest accounts. Um, And there are lots of other companies that have examples like this. So this shows that these companies really are vulnerable, not only companies, but also government departments. And um, I think that you know, the Biden administration is starting to address this by looking at government agencies, but it needs to go further in terms of a more wholesale, systematic way of implementing or requiring cybersecurity and also finding ways to deter cyber attacks and prevent cyber conflict. These are things that will happen in the future, probably in the near future, and really need to be examined.
0: Right. So would you say that this is a national security
1: concern? Oh, definitely. You know, it's, it's likely, I think, that the next war will have a really big cyber component. It could entirely take place through cyber attacks. Other countries are able to shut down things like pipelines and electrical grids uh, simply by going online and um, hacking into a system and shutting it down. And so, you know, this is something that needs to be looked at immediately.
0: Right. So is there any country that has the
1: cyber and technological capabilities that China has? I think, you know, to some extent, Russia is able to pretty easily hack into other countries, but probably the top nation that has offensive cyber capabilities is the U.S. U.S. is responsible for some of the most cyber attacks in the world. And a lot of this involves hacking into into websites and and private companies, also engaging in cyber espionage. And so the U.S. has a lot of capabilities, probably more than other countries. But as you can see, in terms of defense, it's very vulnerable.
0: Right. So do you think that Biden will take steps to invest more into cybersecurity? I know you touched on this briefly, but
1: could you elaborate? Yeah, he has signed an executive order that would strengthen the federal government's cybersecurity defenses by increasing the, the standards for software vendors. But I think that you know he really needs to go much further and provide funds for improving cybersecurity defenses on all levels, and not just in the government, but also in the private sector.
0: Right. And how much of an issue is this within the political parties in the U.S.? Because as we know, politics is driven by mainly the Republican Democratic parties and they control a
1: lot of what goes on. I don't think that it's sufficiently on their radar. I know that artificial intelligence is really is a major focus for both parties, but it's looked at from a view that is very anti-China it's very competitive focused competition focused uh, looking at china and not necessarily focused on sufficiently building up defenses i think that you know the us is probably in the near future going to build up its capabilities in terms of artificial intelligence but perhaps not necessarily looking sufficiently at how to defend itself from cyber attacks
0: So with this in mind, do you think that China will focus on
1: defense? Does it really have any incentive to? I think that China is actually trying to improve its cybersecurity. It already has some legislation that helps to protect against cyber attacks, and it has another one in the pipeline that will help it to to have sufficient defense. It's really the U.S. that I think is far more vulnerable because We haven't really looked at how to protect ourselves against potential threats and how to require companies to implement sufficient security measures so that other, you know, companies overseas or entities overseas cannot hack into U.S. accounts. Do you foresee that China will recognize that it's
0: facilitating IP theft of American IP, or do you think it will just continue
1: to ignore the problem? Does it have any incentive to address this? I think that it's possible that China will, especially if the rhetoric is changed, if China is not looked at as an enemy by the U.S. I think right now there's a lot of escalating conflict between the U.S. and China, or at least, you know, a remaining high level of conflict um, resulting from the Trump administration. But I think, you know, it's something that really needs to be addressed in the future, and China's definitely aware of it now. It's just whether it has the right political incentive to really crack down on IP theft.
0: Right. So if the U.S. decides to provide that incentive through leverage, obviously the tariffs did not work out very well. In fact, you might some might say that they
1: backfired slightly. What other leverage does the U.S. have? Well, I think that, you know, taking an inward look and... Trying to implement defensive protection against cyber attacks is a good thing for the U.S., also improving um, U.S. cyber capabilities. But, you know, in order for China to really address the IP issue, I think we'd need more diplomacy at the really highest levels. You know, between President Obama and Xi Jinping, um, when Obama was in office, he had requested that she stop state-supported cyber attacks or hacking. And, and he did. She was able to, to do this by telling the state security department to stop carrying out cyber attacks and cyber uh, espionage. And so this paused for a while. So it really just shows that this is very much a political issue. It's not necessarily something that is a regulatory issue. China doesn't necessarily have the political incentive to fully implement is intellectual property laws. So we'll see what happens. We'll see how well Biden can communicate with President Xi and engage in diplomacy to get this to, to stop.
0: Right. So for perhaps a last question, what do you expect a resolution of this trade war will look like? And what could the U.S. expect to gain from the resolution?
1: Well, I think that the resolution needs to happen pretty quickly especially because there're ongoing costs to US companies and individuals it just it never made sense um, from an economic standpoint and uh, you know economists will tell you that there is no good case for imposing tariffs especially if it's a company it's a country that's well developed and doesn't need to protect its markets per se. they're not infant industries and so i think a, a swift resolution would be good but I think possibly the Biden administration should engage in talks with China as quickly as possible if it wants to use the tariffs as a bargaining chip. You know, I think that using tariffs as a bargaining chip are somewhat less credible if that bargaining chip is also aimed not only at the country you're talking to, but also aimed at yourself and hurting yourself. I think that the US really needs to get with it as quickly as possible. Biden has been really slow In addressing this issue, I think he's taking his time in terms of exploring different routes to diplomacy or um, sorting out some of these issues with China, but it needs to be quick so that the the pain will stop for U.S. companies.
0: Right. So to summarize, some introspection is certainly needed. And once again, diplomacy would be fantastic. Exactly. Yeah. So that would conclude today. But thank you so much for your time. It's greatly appreciated. And I know I learned a lot. I, my viewers will as well. So thank you. Great. Thanks, Eliana. Thank you to everyone who listened today to Capital Connections. And I hope you walk away with a more comprehensive understanding of the China-U.S. trade war. Thank you and see you on the next episode.